Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Howdy friends, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Jen Singer, and her gist is really all about what the hell do you do when shit happens and you're in this window between what's wrong with me and when the doctor says what do I do and then what's next. There's no greeter in the shit happens store like a Walmart guy to say, go here, do this, make sure this happens. It doesn't exist unless you're lucky to have somebody like I did and that she kind of did but really didn't. She's the creator of How to Be Sick. She is a cancer survivor, a heart failure survivor. Is that a word? Do you survive heart failure? Well, she's still here, so she survives. And she's an outspoken hater of Dr. Google, which I think we could all agree, nodding our heads, that is a bad thing. So she wrote a series of books called The Just Diagnosed Guidelines that she wants you to know about because they're funny, they're witty, there's lots of empathy, and the dark humor you need to make sense of the inanity that befalls you when shit happens. Jen Singer, coming up right now. All right, Jen Singer, my first question. How the hell are we both still alive? I don't know, but I'm glad we are. I agree. Aging gracefully is a privilege. It is. When I, I actually round up my age, like a, like a four-year-old, they say, how old are you? I'm like, well, I'm going to be 56. Is that like grounding up at the supermarket for like charity donations? It definitely. Just the same thing. Same exact. <laughs> so I've only had cancer and a stroke, but you mm. have the trifecta. So let's start <laughs> down the rabbit hole of, oh, the fuckery of Jen's health. And that should be the title of my memoir, The Fuckery of My Health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma stage three when I was 40 years old. Was told, oh, well, you know, you're a mother, so... And you're 40. So, of course, you're tired. And so was misdiagnosed for months and months and months. And that kind of cancer, you don't want to be misdiagnosed for that long because it'll kill you within a year. Well, or did they say it was a good cancer? No, they called it the bad cancer. Okay. Yeah. After they told me it was Hodgkin's, which is the good cancer, and went ood and odd all about that, I come to find out, no, it's the bad cancer. And I assumed that I was going to be dead by dinner. I love the stories of hematologic cancer patients because it doesn't sound like cancer. Oh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay, that's not so bad, right? No, it's blood cancer. Yes, well, I figure anything that ends in oma is not good. Coma. <laughs> Stoma. Neuroma. Tacoma. I don't know. Never, I've never been there. I'm no sure it's No one from fine. Washington <laughs> listens to the show anyway. It doesn't okay. matter. All right. Insurance lovely. Yeah. Well, SeaTac's a good airport, but I digress. Mm -hmm. I digress. And actually, um, uh, Seattle Children's Hospital. Yes. Really good place. Very good. Among the many places you've been traveling to to get your care, mm -hmm. what's the Where's Waldo best place? The best place to get care? That you've gotten care at. 
Cornell saved my life here in New York City. That's where I had my cancer treatments. And NYU Langone is where my heart failure specialists are. Oh, wait, that's right. You had a bonus. Yes. I, I, I just, you know, I basically could write a Zagat's of hospitals. My goodness. Or what's it, the Lonely Planet? Of cancer? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you are the a human Fodor's guide <laughs> Yes. Uh, what the fuck's going to go on. Mm-hmm. All right, so was the heart failure related to your cancer treatment, or is that like an unknown? Uh, we think it was. So I had uh, the atomic bomb of chemo, our chop, with bleomycin. Let's put in everything drastic, caustic that you possibly could. Also mycin, things that end in mycin, and, also and bad. Mycin. Omas and mycin. Yeah, and I had both the omas and the mycin. So it doubles your chance for, uh, lifetime chance for heart failure. And then as a bonus, I had radiation directly to my chest. And guess what's in your chest? Your heart. And other somewhat important things. A few things. But uh, it got rid of the cancer, which is good, or else I would not be here. So, yes, it increased my uh, odds of having heart failure. However, I was doing just fine, frankly. I was, I had, it was 2020 in the before times. The before times, yes. And I had gone to Sedona with my two sons who were then in college. We had been hiking. One of them uh, has the mile record at Ithaca College, and I was keeping up with, not running, but I was keeping up with him. So I felt fine. And then I got this little virus you may have heard of called COVID in February 2020. You were an early adopter like me. I had it in 2020 in February also. And of course, that was when it was just one guy from Wuhan. So they, yeah. there weren't even tests. <laughs> no. I couldn't even get tested. And uh, after it was a few weeks later that all of a sudden, basically, the electrical system in my heart started shutting down. So the way I describe it is that chemo and radiation filled the barn full of dynamite and COVID went <laughs> and blew it up. I didn't even know I had COVID. Neither. Um, I just remember feeling like shit for a week in mm-hmm. February. And no one was really paying attention to this stuff. It was whatever it was, you know, hearsay on the news and whatnot. But then in April, was it April or March, the pediatricians started getting the the blood tests to see if you had the antibodies mm-hmm. before there were any real medicines or real home kits, Right. the antibody tests. So we went with the kids to their doctors and we got the blood tests. And it turns out that all three of them, my kids and my wife, had no antibodies. Mm. But I had like the highest level of antibodies I'd ever seen since they started tracking it like in six weeks. Of course. So I had like super COVID classic. (laughs) You did. It is COVID classic. Well, I caught it, I think, on a train to Boston. There was someone coughing behind me. This was before masks and again, before we all knew that. I came home and then it seemed to go away. So I got on a plane to Seattle. And as soon as I got up in the air, it just all came out yeah. of my head. So I basically typhoid married everybody from Seattle. <laughs> and you're welcome. I'm back. Yeah. But again, this goes back to how cancer is the gift that keeps on mm-hmm. giving. Yeah. And so I was diagnosed in 96, mm. right before there was anything in the universe to do anything about anything. And I very, very probably horribly recall <laughs> in the worst sense of remembering my oncologist uh, said to me, don't ever be a runner. Oh. <laughs> Stay out of the sun. Oh. Yeah. And then they gave me like the little coupon, you know, like one car wash, get 10 free, whatever the, 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 where they punch the cards. Yeah. You may have these side effects <laughs> in the next <laughs> couple of years. <laughs> it's like death, more <laughs> death. 
A third death? Yeah. A fourth death. You just get nuked? Yeah. And all right, so let me ask you this question, because again, I, I look at history as a teacher. Mm-hmm. You were at some of the best centers in the world. Yeah. Was there a survivorship program for you? Not that I know of. No, there wasn't. And that's a Shonda. Yeah. They should be like, you know what? We know it ain't over when it's over. Here's right. a whole bunch of crap to do to be aware of things that are going to happen to you that no one can possibly predict. Yeah, I, I feel like I was it was I was just kind of on my own. I was I was happy that I got to see my kids grow up and I, I felt like it was behind me, but never completely behind me. And then now it's with me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I have a pacemaker. I, I have actually a defibrillator. You carry one around with you? No, it's in my chest. You have an embedded defib? I have, yeah. Is that a, a thing? It's an ICD. Yeah, it's a pacemaker with a defibrillator built in. So if I go, it it's going to jolt it me back. It just kind of zaps me back? Yeah, from, from what I hear from other people who have heart failure, it's like getting kicked in the chest by a mule. So it's not like it's something you won't know that happened. Does Siri say clear before it does it? <laughs> Sadly, no. Okay. You should prepare yourself, right? <laughs> Definitely. That's crazy. So you became the accidental, I don't know, advocate? What would you call yourself? Yeah, a patient advocate. Yeah. Because I've been a patient for so freaking long. I yeah. mean, today, as you know, I had to, to get a blood test and it took them three times to get the blood out, uh, even though I said to them, use a butterfly needle and do it in my hand. They all think they can do it because, you know, my vein beans, I'm so see-through. Yeah, listeners, <laughs> um, Jen and I were texting before the show earlier today and she was like, I, I, I might make it, but they have to stab me the right way. Great. <laughs> Yeah, and they did. They they always have a sharpshooter. They brought Stephen in, and Stephen got the Stephen vein. the sharpshooter, the yeah. Hawkeye of hematology. There always is one. Does this go back to like they didn't listen to you, or you, is is that still what this is? Yeah, you know. Um, yes. Now I would have been more forceful had I been in the hospital and was being poked repeatedly by various needles. I would have said, "Oh no." You're using a butterfly needle, but this woman wanted to give it a whirl, so I let her try. <laughs> I, I shouldn't have. I should have really been more forceful. Well, that's another thing, too. I, I talk endlessly about the idea that most people aren't born with what I like congenital chutzpah. Like, <laughs> we, can, we can be, you know, our own, be your own advocate, kind of like a trope. Not everyone has that baked into them. But at some point, can you just get pissed enough to be not quite rude but forceful? Oh, my gosh. I stormed out of a hospital against medical advice. Yeah, they had just put in a uh, pick line. And uh, I was I had a doctor. This was in New Jersey. And I had a doctor in New York telling me you need a PET scan. And they didn't have a PET scan machine at this hospital. And so then they tried to hedge their bets and say, you can't leave with the pick line in. That's a liability, which is people walk around with pick lines all the time. That is true. So I held up my arm, said to the nurse, then yank it out. And she did. And mm-hmm. I was bleeding all over the place and got in the car and went over the George Washington Bridge, got that PET scan and found out I had the bad cancer. I love that there is a good cancer and a bad cancer. Isn't that fantastic? It's so lovely for the people who have good cancer. Yes. There's, there's only good cancers. Every now and then. Yes. Like brain cancer. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's a great cancer. Somehow I don't think so. No, there isn't any. So, all right. So you had like the death knell of chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And they didn't give you any warning that this will just like be with you for the rest of your life? Uh, That I had a chance of heart failure? Yeah. Like like you you don't go through Chernobyl easy-bake oven and come out clean. (laughs) 
Um, there really wasn't a lot of warning. It was, look, we saved your life. Go on. I, I Get had, over it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the beginning, no, no, this, is, this type of cancer is most likely to come back in the first two years. So I was having PET scans every quarter. Yeah. I've had 14 PET scans. Talk about Chernobyl. Plus the radiation to my chest. Wait, can you pick up paper clips yet? I can. Uh, That's a real skill, by the I way. I can light up the uh, Rockefeller Christmas tree, <laughs> I believe. They plug it into you? They do. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess it, that's all we were focused on. And, uh, and no, and I didn't have a cardiologist checking on me I, I until poof. I, my heart stopped. Yeah. Like it was like the, the light shutting down at the, in the stadium after the big game. Boom, boom, one at a time. So you and I are big fans of the cancer cat poster game. Mm-hmm. You know, hang in there. You'll be fine. Here's a ribbon, right? What was that like for you? Uh, stop with the platitudes, people. This is the thing that gets me the most angry. It is that we have been taught these platitudes like, be positive and stay strong. Everything happens for a reason that uh, do not make people feel better. They actually make you feel way more lonely. And don't even get me started on if there's anything I can do, because that's homework. Well, that's the thing. I remember at Stupid Cancer, we had like courses in how to respond to people when they say that, because it's hard. I mean, there's a level of empathy. It's hard to channel because, you know, they maybe they mean well. But, you know, what do you say to somebody when they don't know that you shouldn't say something? Okay, so I'm I'm on a mission to to do better than mean well. And I think we can all learn how to do that. And the first is very simply through active listening. Mm-hmm. So someone says, I'm, you know, I have cancer, I'm having a bad day. And instead of saying, oh, but it will get better and try and talk them out of their feelings, reflect back. So today is a particularly bad day. And then listen mm-hmm. and then validate what they say. Because when you don't do that, they won't share as much and they feel like they can't. I, I sat in my hospital, I laid in my hospital room at four o'clock every morning, watching the sun rise over the East River, praying to God that I would see my kids grow up. And I could tell no one that because it would terrify them, especially if they were close to me. Yep. And most people don't know how to hold space for that. Well, not everyone reads Dale Carney either. Like that's really <laughs> what this is, right? Like it's repeat back to somebody what they said to you in in inquisitive fashion with empathy. Yes, we all need empathy. I, for some reason, we've been taught that we need to, you know, kind of like oh, shiny and put out of in a, a someone's face if they've been diagnosed with something big. You you must have a good attitude, but we know that there are studies that show that a good attitude does not cure cancer. Right. It also goes back to, I mean, just saying that harkens me back to the, the the heyday of Livestrong. Yes. Because they had, you know, they had their their mantras and the little funny agency fonts and whatnot. Mm. I mean, at the time, it was important because society was getting aware, like cancer became like pop culture in a sense. Yes. But this whole idea of attitude is everything, which was Lance's dogma. Mm-hmm. I get it. It's a great thing to say. It is a cat poster statement. Mm. But you're right. Like. It's okay to be pissed. Yeah. It's okay to be angry. If you can't be pissed, angry, and sad when you have a, a when death is ringing your doorbell, I don't know when you can be. Right. Ding dong. <laughs> it's, it's rang my doorbell <laughs> twice, and I would like to move. <laughs> I, it, it's always it's every Family Guy episode where the doorbell rings and it's death outside the door. Yes. 
that's that was our lives. Yes, that I, I, I've lived it way too much. And the last time was in, in 2020 when my son, who was in his senior year in college and New York had shut down and he had come home and was finishing up his art project, had to drop me off at the ER. And thank God that he wasn't allowed in. Oh, COVID. Yeah. COVID. He wasn't allowed in. And honestly, that was the most wonderful thing for me to not have visitors because I always felt like I had to take care of everybody else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how they felt about me. This way I could, even the nurses didn't want to come in my room because I had COVID. Well, the mom genes kick in too. You have to just care for everyone all the time anyway. Yes, that's true. There's a little bit of that, um, but it it, it gave me sort of an, it it was like a do-over. I got to I got to do over the feelings that I had when I had cancer, when I had heart failure, and do it right this time. So I'm a cancer patient, which I was, but I'll I'll role play here. Someone says to me, "Oh, uh, I'm so sorry," or "What can I do?" What What's the worst conversation that can exist, and how can a a patient respond in a way that may educate? You can't say, "Well, ask me this and re- react to this." So if somebody says, if there's anything I can do, I feel like that's homework because now I have, I, you, the patient, have to come up with something for me to do. So instead of doing that, if someone says that to me, if there's anything I can do, I would say, yes, actually, there's a couple things that you can do. There is a Facebook page where there's a list of things where you could be, you know, taking me to chemo or or whatever it is if you want to do practical things. Schedule it so I don't get three lasagnas in one week. That would be a, a helpful thing, being in charge of that kind of a thing. If Wait, some, have you gotten three lasagnas in a week? Uh, no, I was so lucky the first time uh, when I had cancer, my neighbor, one of my neighbors set up not only that the entire neighborhood was cooking for us, which we re- had just redone our kitchen. We had no kitchen. It's a great time to have cancer when you don't have kitchen. <laughs> because everyone wants to cook for you. Yes. And she would set it up so that it was something different every other day. So I never had three lasagnas. I thought that was a brilliant move. That, that, that's good luck, though. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's kind of nice when the people that you think exist in your life come out of the woodwork for you. They did. And it, it was in a neighborhood that, uh, you know, my house was the frat house for fifth graders. It was like, you know, all the all of the kids <laughs> hung out at my house. I think they just wanted me back in my pantry, too. <laughs> so I'm a cancer patient and I'm asked, is there anything I can do? Mm-hmm. But I don't really have anything for them to do. Mm-hmm. What is my response? Thank you so much for your interest. My sister is running all of that. Please give her a call. Put right. it off on someone else. I, you know, I, I say that there are these circles of support. The people who are closest to you, obviously, are in the middle, and your doctors and the people who are affected by you by your cancer on a daily basis. And then you move the circles out till you get to social media. Be careful what you share on social media or those people are going to send you lots of lasagnas. I've come up with a bit of a copy-paste response to people. I mean, I'm different because people know who I am in in certain cases and it's okay to have dark humor with me. Mm -hmm. I'll just like, ah, shit, that sucks. I'm going to go get you a homework card. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Yes. Or or wait, I'm going to invent the homework card for this moment. (laughs) Yes. I, I just people just they want to help. They don't know how to help. And for a lot of people, physically doing something makes a difference. So if they can help you logistically, let them know how they can help you logistically. If not, then, geez, assign things. Like, you know, I could really use a nice blanket. Yeah. 
Okay, cancer registry. Yes. Yeah, that will, now that's smart. What a great idea. <laughs> to the business world. <laughs> Definitely. But this goes back to the days of like Caringbridge and Care Pages. Yeah. Remember those guys? Yes. I mean, this was a million years ago, if they're still around. But it was the first place, like the internet did good. Right. It was the first place you can go to kind of privately tell your story and privately invite people so you don't go over it. You know, social footprints didn't exist back then, mm-hmm. but the stigma was there so much. And you could create your own, like, I need this, I need this. And people would literally check off the things that they can do for you. Yeah, and they still have things like that. and all, But I think more more people use private Facebook pages for things like that. Right. And also just have someone who who is on your side who can sort of run interference. Again, like a sister or cousin or somebody who who's not in your house <laughs> living with you day to day, put them in charge. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and maybe you'll hear an ad for Sloan Kettering. I can't guarantee that, but maybe that's karmic. Sounds good. Anyway, we'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. If you heard an ad for Sloan Kettering, uh, you're welcome. (laughs) And that ad knows who you are, so good luck. (laughs) That's so bad. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. All right, let's go back to... Like I like the term happens to have. Most people don't happen to have something in their life that helps them in the moment they need help. I happen to have my uncle, who was a geneticist in 1995. I mean, he'd been a geneticist for 30 years before then, but he was the one that helped me understand that the chemotherapy they wanted to give me would have permanently damaged my nerves and I wouldn't be able to play piano again. I mean, my story, I was a pianist, I lost the ability. I'd rather play again at some, but if I didn't have him, I would have obviously said yes to chemotherapy and I would never have played again. I happened to have him. Mm-hmm. 
Another another good example is um my friend Joe, also brain cancer survivor, same birthday as me, same year as me. Bizarre, I met him in 2014. But he's a researcher in blood cancers, and his mom had multiple myeloma. And he went to the doctor's appointment with his mom, and he knew about a clinical trial for her multiple myeloma. Wow. The doctor didn't believe him. Oh, jeez. Like they got into an argument. Who are you to tell me that there's a trial for your mom? Yeah, of course. And then, of course, they fired the doctor, got the new doctor, and got his mom on the right trial. Good. She happened to have a son in her life who knew these things. Right. It doesn't happen enough that people shouldn't have to happen to know something or know someone in the moment. Were you alone? Did you discover this all by yourself? Did you have a lifeline? I did not. Uh, We have what I call a medical enforcer, somebody who can uh, come in and tell you what you need to know. I am now a medical enforcer for many people, as my brother says, this fall on NBC, Jen Singer, medical enforcer. However, we we need the law and order sound like dum dum. However, I was a writer and could research things on my own. Because you have a job and that's your life. Hey, well, all of the non-cancer part of Jen. Yeah, I yeah, I actually do things besides go get blood tests. <laughs> and I also knew people who knew people. So there were other people who had had the same cancer I had, and got I got them on the phone, and they could give me as many insights as possible. I guess in a way, come to think of it, it was my gynecologist I was on an email basis with my gynecologist because I had had endometriosis before this. Oh, so there's four things now. Yeah. Wait, just, we're going to start the track record here. Yeah, I know. So I already knew something because of him. I know. You are a catch, Jen. So it's not fair to people because I'm bionic because of my pacemaker. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I emailed him in the middle of the night, said I'm in this hospital where um, they don't have a PET scan machine and what do I need to do? And he gave me the name of somebody in New York to go to. So that's often what you need. So now, in a sense, you happen to have somebody that you didn't realize you happened to have. Yes, I did. My gynecologist was the one who gave me the name and um, explained a few things to me so I could understand along the way. Everybody needs someone like that. So do you have a, a, you know, a brother-in-law who's an ER doctor? Do you know someone who's a nurse? Do you know someone who's a researcher? Do you know someone who's a patient? Because they know a lot, especially if they had, they've had the same exact thing you've had. Right, and, and that's also a level of privilege, too. If you happen to know somebody or happen to have somebody, there are many people that don't. But this is kind of where we're going to get to in terms of your career path. Yeah, I don't recommend this path where you have cancer and then become a medical writer. <laughs> um, but that's exactly what I did. A couple of years after I had cancer, I saw this ad come through for for a job where it was freelance, where I would be writing the the website for a major hospital here in New York City. And darn it, I got it. I had an equivalent version of that because my first job out of cancer was working at an ad agency whose clients in healthcare made the drugs I was on. There we go. I couldn't escape it. That's very meta. Very meta. It, it was incomparable. I mean, I'm just thinking now, 26 years ago, like, yeah, one of their clients made the anti-emetic I was taking. Wow. Yeah. In like 1996. That's uh, lemons to lemonade. Really? Might Ridiculous. as well make money off the damn thing. <laughs> I, it's a good living. Exactly. It wasn't quite recompense for nearly <laughs> dying because I wanted to do something else, but hey, <laughs> take the, roll the punches. But this also goes back to this concept, and this is an endless, endless, unsolvable mystery Mm -hmm. 
I always talk about healthcare, like like rare disease and life threatening shit, as the store you don't want to shop in, but someone else decides what the prices are. Yeah. And irrespective of you know insurance or coverage, there is no concierge that greets you at the door of Walmart oncology <laughs> that says, oh, over here, do this, do this, do this. And, mm-hmm. and it's not that often that someone has that, I mean, navigator is a, kind of just the jargony term at this point now to help you understand all these practical things, not the clinical things, the practical things. And that's kind of where you really also found the niche for yourself. I always say we're taught how to be healthy, but we're not taught how to be sick. There, There is a, a way of being when you're sick where you learn to navigate both the logistical and the emotional parts of being sick that I have learned along the way. And so when I joined the heart failure boards on Facebook after I got heart failure, I saw people after people coming through terrified because they had Googled their heart failure. Wait, I'm sorry. What go- What is Google? It's this thing where you go on and it scares the crap out of you because yes. the statistics for heart failure across the board online are old, wrong, and scary. And so all of them thought they'd be dead in a few years. And that's when I got the idea. I really, I need to use my medical writing experience and my experience as a patient and sort of give them, this is what you really need to know. Stay the heck off of Google. So you didn't write Google an angry letter like my dad would have done. (laughs) No, I don't think Dear Google, your search results were terrible. Can they stop scaring me, please? No, I did not, but I wish I had. Yeah, so it's like how to be sick. Yes, how to be sick and how to support someone who's sick. So I I created these guides called Just Diagnosed Guides for that reason. And I wrote one on heart failure for those patients who are terrified. And then I wrote one on sarcoidosis, which I was diagnosed with and then undiagnosed from. That sounds less terrifying than non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. (laughs) What is that? It's like a, a collection of errant cells that can collect anywhere in your body. But in my case, they thought it was on my my heart, and that that's what had shut down my electrical oh. system. Come to find out, my current doctor says, now I think that the, what up, lit up your PET scan in 2020 was actually COVID. Okay. You have lymphoma. No, wait, it's just a cough. <laughs> Basically. Go take Robitussin. You'll be fine. I had that. They did. They told me that, actually. What, Robitussin? I was told, no, I was told I had pneumonia, and okay. it was a tumor the size of a softball. Yeah. And, the, and I later read the report which was in medical ease, and I translated it, and it says possible tumor, basically go have it checked right away. And that doctor did not do that for two whole weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't you hate it when you know the research better than medical people? That was before I knew stuff, too. Yeah. But again, the olden days of bringing stacks and stacks of paper to doctors when you print out from Google right. has now become like, here's my thumb drive. <laughs> Please review all of this stuff. Yeah, like they're going to do that, too. But I, I, I like, I'm always positive. I mean, I'm rarely optimistic, but I, in this particular sense, 99% of doctors mean well. Hippocrates is important to all of them, and they do their best to make sure they're as up-to-date as possible. But not everyone's going to be a surgeon mechanic, and not everyone's going to be an empath. There's always a balance between who you're talking to. But irrespective, it. It, I hate to say this because it sounds too easy, but you know, if you're on the receiving end of conversations that make you uncomfortable, fire that person and find someone who you enjoy actually having to deal with. 
actually did this to my mother who has Parkinson's. Her doctor kept ignoring her or she kept telling her how sick she felt. She goes, that's just the Parkinson's. That's just the drug you're on. Fired her, wound up getting another doctor who said, oh, no, that is actually withdrawal from this particular drug. It's like coming off of cocaine. Mm, prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the smell of something in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get to the Just Diagnose Guide. We learned why it exists. Right. You never woke up and said, I can't wait to write these guidelines one day for people. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to get cancer and hear Matt's show one day. Like, no one says these things. So how are you getting these out to people? I am uh, doing podcasts where I can reach patients. I know a podcast you could come on. Uh, tell me all about it. I, he's, he, this guy, he's got some really amazing listeners. I, I, you know, I have so much podcasting and TV experience from my old days as a mom blogger. I figured this was the way to, to go. But I, you know, I have a website called Just DS, JustDXGuides.com where you can go and find all of the guides Just there. DX guidelines. Guides. 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 JustDXGuides.com. JustDXGuides.com. Well, we'll, we'll put a link in the episode description. Thank you. Yes. For sure. And what's the, what's the reception been? So uh, patients especially feel like, oh, you're speaking on my behalf. You're saying things that other people won't say about how what people say to you makes you feel bad, um, giving you the real inside scoop of what it's like to, to get a PET scan or to get a biopsy. And people who are trying to support people who are sick are excited about it because now they know how to do it. Right. Yeah, you, you, you become the, um, the divining rod in a sense, right? Yeah. And I like I, your angrier version, though. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I am a little bit angry. Aren't you angry? I think that permission to be pissed is underrated. Yeah. I mean, just don't go out and do mean things about it. But you know, it, it, enough with the ribbons and the wrist. I think we've gone past the ribbons and wristband stuff. Like, thankfully, the pink blenders and the pink M&M, we, we've, we've moved past the sort of superficiality. And honestly, I, I give credit to breast cancer advocates. Like, we're not pink. The country just thinks by donating they're going to help us. Right. They're not. And patients as consumers kind of forced that change. Do you feel like like if you start to think of yourself as just a consumer advocate mm-hmm. who happens to be a patient, mm-hmm. that's what you're doing? Yes. And showing people that you you don't have to just stick with a doctor because that doctor is nice and lives near you. You can go somewhere else. That there are um, medicines that are going to make you feel this way. They're going to call it discomfort. It's pain. Yes. <laughs> They're going to use euphemisms. I'm going to tell you how it really is. Softer language never works. No. George Carlin had a great bit about how we went from shell shock Mm-hmm. To battle fatigue, mm-hmm. to post-traumatic stress disorder, like right. more syllables and softer language. No, it's fucking pain. It is pain. And it is painful to be a patient. And if the more we share with each other what we go through as patients and tell other people who are supporting patients, the better off we all are. It's tribal wisdom at its finest. It is. All right. Final Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so channeling your your ghostwriter side. Mm-hmm. By the way, do we still say ghostwriter? Is it is that is that still acceptable? It's still ghostwriter. Is it sure. a co-writer, co-author, collaborative writer, collaborative writer? Because it has more syllables. Yeah, I think it does it injustice, right? Like, did they put your name on the book too? Depends. Some of them will put it on. Some they of them should. Yeah, but some of them don't want to. It's leaning more and more to. I collaborated with Jen Singer. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because like I would think if you're if someone's writing a book for you, in a sense, they should get some credit on the book. Yeah, or cash. 
Or oh, there you go. <laughs> There's always some kind of compensation, yeah. of course. All right. So my question, I guess, is do we really need more cancer books? So a good cancer book is never about the cancer. It's about the change in you that comes from whatever trauma, which in this case is cancer, that you went through. So a memoir should not be, these are all the things that happened to me when I had cancer. A memoir should be a slice of, this is what happened to me, this is what I learned, this is how I've changed, and this is why it matters to you. So do we need cancer books? I wouldn't even call them cancer books. I would just call them memoirs about the thing that happened to me. Well said. I just go back to the, I mean, these are human beings that write these books. These are passion projects. They have to express themselves. You know, no one, I think, does it to be bought by Random House and become Oprah. Like, that's not why we do these things. Mm -hmm. But this idea of I had cancer and so can you, (laughs) 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 I think we're over that. (laughs) Yeah, that that's kind of old school. Again, that's just describing this bad thing happened to me. Right. This bad thing happened to me and why does it matter is what makes a good book. Right. Storytelling. Storytelling is everything. You just got happy. I know for I a moment. The, I found the happy Jen Singer. <laughs> just say storytelling and I'll smile. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for coming here on the show and sharing your crapness with all of us. I'm so happy to be in New York and no one's taking my blood pressure. You're like a female Jenga. So endometriosis. Endometriosis. Hodgkin's lymphoma, which they thought was- Non-Hodgkin's, the bad cancer. All right, so endometriosis, the bad non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, horrible COVID classic shitness, and like heart failure. Heart failure. And then sarcoidosis, but undiagnosed from that. So non-sarcoidosis. Yeah, that one you can pull away. That had the most syllables. So I'm going to go with like, it's probably best that that's not the one you had. It's hard to say. Well, again, the uh, website is justdxguides.com. Justdxguides.com. Jen Sanger, I adore you. I love you. Thank you. So great to see you. So good to see you. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Sarah Rosa Davies. It's mixed and edited by Sarah Rosa Davies and Kyle Moore. Special thanks to Brianna Seely for added support. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript.com. No T.com.